says this, John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. It's very efficient at that. He steals. Not only does he steal, but he kills. Not only does he kill, but he destroys. But I, in contrast to that, I came that they, that you, the believers, the sheep, he's talking about, may have life and have it abundantly. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. I'm going to talk this morning about abundant life. Pray with me here. Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Pray, Lord God, that we would be revived, be brought to life again with that abundant life, Lord. I know, Lord, um, just from my experience, but also in the spirit, Lord, that there are many people here this morning, God, who don't have that abundant life. They're hardly surviving. Lord, uh, they have survival life at best. But Lord, you called us not just to survive and get by and get along. You called us to live abundantly, praise God. You called us, Lord God, that we might have life and have it with passion and have it with depth and have it with glory and have it with joy. And Lord, I pray that this morning your people would, more so than they were yesterday or the week before or the month before, that we'd begin to move into that abundant life, Lord. Break the strongholds in our minds and the strongholds in our lives that keep us from the abundant, joy-filled, passionate, wonderful life that you have for us, that you've ordained for us, that you call us to, that you purchase for us. Holy Spirit, be sovereign here. I don't rely on my words. I don't rely on my organization or my structure or the speech, Lord. I rely on you. And that's that you'd have your way here. Praise God. Do your work. Do your work. Change your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Some people here think that the only reason I went into preaching was because I failed as a movie critic. Because I... Uh, I, I uh, cite so many movies in my messages. Uh, and it's true that I do like to uh, uh, go to movies and I like to integrate them because I think a lot of times movies make a good point. Maybe, John, I'm making up for lost time because the church we used to go to wouldn't let us go to movies. So that's kind of my way of, of my own therapy here. I don't know. But uh, I want to use a movie here as a springboard for what I want to talk about. It's a movie I just saw uh, two nights ago. I actually felt like the Lord told me to go see this. Now, you can think about that what you want. But the movie's called Pleasantville. Oh, some of you saw it. Wait. Now, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie that packs so much truth together with so much lying. Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting film for that reason. As a Siskel and Eber preacher, I'd give it a thumbs down strongly and discourage any of you from seeing it because any movie that takes a lot of truth, a lot of great truth, and weaves it together with a bunch of lives is a dangerous, lies, is a dangerous movie. I maybe want to check it out just to see how, how bad that is. But I, I, uh, I actually I, I see this as, as a, uh, an evil movie. I don't say that about very many movies. And I'm pretty tolerant, open-minded, and all that stuff. But I don't say it's evil because of the language or anything like that. I, I, because it has so much truth in it, but it's twisted with a little bit of lies. Now, here's the thing, since I don't want you to go see it, unless you really want to. Uh, but uh, I'm going to tell you what the whole movie's about. I'm going to ruin it for you. There's a bunch of kids in the 90s. And somehow they get sucked up into a TV set and they, they go back to the 50s uh, to this place called Pleasantville. Pleasantville is a black and white 50s sort of sitcom, I guess, where everything is perfect. It's the Ozzy and Harriet kind of a thing. And everyone is just, you know, it's, it's the wonderful family, wonderful life. Everyone's smiling. Hello, honey, I'm home. Where's my dinner? And, and the wife's, you know, everything's just plastic. It's artificial, black and white. Um, yuck. But everyone thinks that they're happy. These kids from the 90s come in there, yeah, come into the movie screen. And the theme here, basically, is that they bring life to this movie screen. Um, the theme is that uh, people discover life. 
They discover that life isn't just about being pleasant and artificial and cutesy and shallow and everyone just playing their roles and knowing their line and going through the motion. Life's about having feeling and having passion and, and uh, taking on color. People, when they learn about what life really is, they take on color. They become colored people. In fact, there's a really good theme that runs throughout this movie uh, against racism. Uh, where the black and white people try to, as people take on color and become real, they start to say things out loud, they start to confront truth, they start to live vibrantly, they start to experience freedom, they start to get into their individuality, all good stuff, they become colored. And the black and white people, they don't like the colored people. And they put up signs, no coloreds allowed. And they try to censor the books and reading and all that kind of stuff. Okay, colored people good, black and white people bad. And that's a true thing. You need to live vibrantly and passionately and with freedom and discover your uniqueness. And that's why it's, it would be a great film. That much is really, really, really true. And there's a lot of good humor about the 50s. And, and it's really a swell, neato movie, you know. Um, golly, I, I, I sure enjoyed it a lot on one level. On the other hand, here's the problem with it. It very explicitly says that to get real, you've got to fall in the biblical sense. You have to fall. You have to rebel. In fact, it's very explicit about this. At one point, the black and white girl goes to the tree and picks off a colored apple, okay, and runs over to the boyfriend. They're in their lover's lane. They're getting ready to have sex, and she gives it to the boy and says, here, take, eat of it. Try it. It's good. And the movie's very explicit about this. And see, that's a positive thing in this movie. The fall is a positive thing. And the black and white people are the moralists who think that you... Actually, in fact, almost everybody, except for one who was already a very loose girl in the 90s before she went to the 50s, everybody else discovers the reality by having immoral sex. A dominant theme in this whole thing. In fact, the heroine of this movie is a lady who discovers what real life is by having an adulterous affair with a guy, who then proceeds to paint a nude painting of her on his, on his store. And, and, and the, 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 the bad, narrow, bigoted, black and white people want to actually say that they, they shouldn't do that. So black and white people, bad. Uh, colored people, good. Colored people have this is sex. They break out of this narrow, bigoted morality that says that you ought to save it for marriage and things like that. And uh, you got to fall if you're going to become a real person. The message that you get out of this movie, Pleasantville, very explicitly, this isn't reading too much into it, is that the Christians are the black and white people. In fact, anyone who holds to traditional morality is a black and white person, bigoted, narrow, shallow, you know, just kind of, you know, not really in color, not really living fully, not li really living vibrantly. It's the people who think on their own. You know, they really have a mind of their own. They go out there and they do what they want to, when they want to, how they want to, and they, they sin, uh, you know, they just, it's not even called sin. They just fornicate when they feel like it. And those are the real people, you know, and yes, it causes some pain, but that's what life's all about. This is natural, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The point I want to make, if I make any point here this morning, is this, just, just this, just this. Great movie, good theme. But great, great, uh, great, great premise, wrong conclusion. Great premise, wrong conclusion. Because you see, if you know anything about real Christianity, instead of some of the stereotyping that Hollywood likes to do, you understand that uh, God invented color, praise God. Uh, God is the one who invents color. God is. Um, the, the, the fun, the reality, the passion, the life isn't found by eating the forbidden tree. The forbidden tree, friends, is what brings us black and white. What brings us reality is the God of the reality, the creator of reality, who's full of passion, full of life, and calls us people to share in that full of passion and full of life kind of existence. Amen? What you understand from the Bible, what we've got to see from the Bible is this. God is, if he's anything real, he's a God of passion. This is a God, he could have created Pleasantville if he wanted to. He was the creator. 
could create Pleasantville. He could create a perfect world where everyone's perfect. Everyone's just Ozzy and Harriet and smiling and, and, hi, honey, I'm home. Where's my meatloaf? And everyone's just kind of going through the motions and maybe they'd say everything right. They'd do everything right. They'd look just right. Everything would be perfect. And there'd be no reality there. It'd be a robotic world. God could have created that. A mediocre black and white God would have created that. But the real God isn't a mediocre God of black and white. He's a God of color. He likes things colorful. He creates real people in a real world with real color, with real passions. He gives them this scary, risky thing called freedom. He's full of adventure. He calls his people to love him, but he gives them the choice not to. This isn't a God who creates Pleasantville. This is a God who creates reality. And when he creates this reality, this adventuresome God doesn't just create a black and white, mediocre sort of reality. Look at, look at around you. Look at the passion around you. Look at the display of creation around you. He doesn't create one kind of bug. He creates one trillion kinds of bugs. We don't need all those bugs. Why do we have all the bugs? Well, because this is a God of creativity. He's just sort of like, what happens if we put this head on backwards? What happens if we give him ten legs? What happens if we rearrange it? What happens if we get the wife to eat the father, you know, after they impregnate her, you know? <laughs> bugs do weird things. Maybe that's from the devil. I don't know. But, but bugs do strange things. Bugs look weird. Praying mantises. Yeah. This is a creative God. He's an exploring God. He's just full of this creativity. He creates it because it's wonderful to create. It's exciting to create because he can create it. He doesn't just create one kind of animal. we got 10 trillion kinds of animals. We don't have one kind of fish. we got 10 trillion kinds of fish. And we don't have one type of people. we got a bunch of billion types of people. And every one of them is a little bit different. And that's to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. It shows his passion. It shows his life. It shows his color. He's a colorful God who creates people of color. People of reality. He doesn't just create an earth. He creates an earth with a sun. Giant sun with a lot of other planets and a lot of other stars. Billions and billions and billions and billions of stars. Why? Because he can He's a God of flair, a little bit of extravagance. He likes to show off, all right? Look what I can do. Oh, yeah, a little a couple of trillion more just to impress him. This is a God of passion. Yes, he's a colorful God. Not a boring, mediocre, black and white anal God. No, this is a God who's just out there creating it all. He's a God who goes after people. Everything I just told you about the passion of God is nothing compared to what he does when he goes to save people. Here you see the real passion, praise God. This is a God, a black and white, mediocre television screen God would never have done this. The Bible says that we, a little race of people, rebelled against God, wanted to go, into, go our own way and become God ourselves. And the Bible tells us that, the, that God didn't like just get mad at us and squish us or whatever. This God is a God of adventure. He's a God of passion. He's a God of infinite triune love. So this God pursues us. The whole Bible is about God out of his passion, out of his color, pursuing us. Experiencing pain because of us. Entering into our life, entering into our struggles, trying to raise up Israel to reach the world. Raise up Jesus Christ and the church to reach the world. And then ultimately this God is a God who becomes one of us, praise God. You talk about passion. You talk about color. You talk about life. This is a God who enters into our world fully and completely. He becomes one of us. And not just becomes one of us. He takes upon himself. This is passion. All of our sin. This is passion. He takes upon himself all of our judgment. This is passion. He takes upon himself all of our hell. Why? Because he loves us. He's a colorful God. He's a passionate God. He's a zealous God. He doesn't know moderation, doesn't know black and white, doesn't know mediocrity. He gives it all the way, goes all the way, abandons all because of his passionate love for you and his passionate love for me. It is not the forbidden fruit that gives us color, friends. The fruit gives us black and white. Sin is boring. God, God is a God of passion, God of love, God of adventure. And the reality is this. Sorry, Pleasantville, but if you want to know abundant life, know Jesus Christ. Amen? If you want your world to take on color, take on Jesus Christ. If you want to know what it is to have joy, take on Jesus Christ. 
The devil may, in a black and white, boring kind of way, offer you a little bit of pleasantness, but Jesus offers you joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen? The, Bible, the, the devil may offer you a little bit of momentary Pleasantville peace. Things will go well. He can offer you that, and it feels really good at the time, but Jesus offers you a peace that passes all understanding. That's abundant life. Uh, the, the devil can offer you in a black and white, mediocre, boring kind of a way a little bit of achievement here, a little bit of this or whatever. He can do that. He's got some authority. He can, he can do that. But Jesus Christ offers you, if you accept him to be blessed in heavenly places in Christ, Jesus seated with him in Jesus Christ in heavenly places, blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. The devil can sometimes quench your thirst for excitement and thirst for adventure a little bit. Here and there, momentarily, but you'll always thirst again. But the Bible says in John chapter 7 that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water, and you shall never thirst again. Praise God, that is abundant life. Amen? That's abundant life. When you know the God who paints with colors, who invented color, he invented passion, he invented adventure, he invented excitement. When you know him, life can be, if you sell out, if you're willing to get passionate about it, life can be full of color, full of passion. But it comes by knowing the one true God. The reds are a little redder and the greens are a little greener and the blues are a little bluer when you know, not a little, a lot. A lot redder, a lot greener, a lot bluer when you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Life finally takes on meaning. Talk about boring. The best you can get from... Satanic Pleasantville is a mediocre life in black and white that's going to die and then the worms get you and that's all there is to be said about it. But you know, Jesus Christ, this is life. This is abundant life. This is eternal life. I know the worst thing I can say about today is that I'm going to end it one day closer to living eternally with him. That's the worst thing you can say about it, praise God. That's the reason to get out of bed in the morning. That is abundant life. Let me say this. I'll say one more thing about this. Sex is better when you know the Lord. Yeah, there you go. Well, hey, I didn't raise the topic. Pleasantville did. See, this is what really ticks me off. This, this really makes me mad. Do you know, 98% of all the uh, depictions on television and the movie theaters that relate people having sex, 98% are between people who are not married. Do you know that? And they make it look like that is, whoa, these people really have it. You, know, this is, you almost get the impression that it's like, you know, it's wrong to have sex when you're married. No, no one else has it that way. There's some husband in this auditorium saying, oh, that explains it. All right. That, that's why my wife, okay, never, never mind. But see, here's the deal. It's just a lie. The, the, the devil, he, he takes black and white, and he kind of sugarcoats it, makes it look like the real exciting sex is outside of marriage, you know? And, and it's just those black and white people who say that you ought to wait to marriage, and, and it's better be outside of marriage, it's better before marriage, it's better with multiple partners, it's better between same-sex people or whatever. That's the message you consistently get. What we know from studies done is that that is an absolute myth, an absolute myth, an absolute lie. What's his name? Edward Lauren wrote a book called The Social Organization of Sex. Uh, you wouldn't believe that a book on sex could be so boring, but, but it was. But there's some, some interesting parts about it. The Social Organization of Sex. He did extensive studies on this, and here's what he shows, folks. Proves the point I'm talking about. Married couples enjoy sex, on the whole, more often. They enjoy, enjoy sex more deeply. They have more fun with it. They, it's more satisfying than anybody who has sex outside of marriage. Amen? Amen. Married couples got the corner. When you want, you want to have sex in color, 
uh, full of life, full of passion, get married, praise God. That's what the Bible tells you is true, and that's what the sociologists are telling you is true. God invented sex, and it works best. And I'm going to get some guys excited finally. <laughs> Somebody back there was thinking about the Vikings till just now. I was like, oh, is he talking sex? <laughs> Woo! Praise the Lord. <laughs> Probably his wife ribbed him and said, hey, listen, he's talking about sex. You need this, Harry, you know, something. When you do it God's way, God invented it. He knows how it works best. Uh, a lot of people think that they can figure it out better, but he knows how it works best. And when you do it God's way, it's not the forbidden tree that gives you the excitement. That gives you the black and white. When you go God's way, do it in God's timing, go it according to God's restriction, then it works the way it's supposed to work. Now, some, I know you're sitting here and you're saying, well, I'm Christian and I'm married and our sex life is terrible. Hey, this isn't a guarantee that, you know what I mean? It's like, come on now, I mean. But generally speaking, I know you work on it, you know, get help. It can be better, all right? But the solution isn't to give up and go out and have sex someplace else. Studies have shown that teenagers who have sex suffer depression. Almost three out of four suffer some emotional damage because of it. See, the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And what really, really ticks me off is that while he's doing it, he's telling you he's giving you life. Oh, this is the real good stuff. And he's stealing God's sexuality. He's killing you. He's destroying you. It eats you alive. You weren't made for this. You weren't made for sin. Deception tells you here's where the life is, but I'm telling you on the basis of the authority of God's word, stay away from it. That's, that's the lie. Pleasantville is a lie. That's not in color. That's black and white. And it will kill the color if you go into it. And I haven't even talked about sexually transmitted diseases. 29%, I just read this this week, 29% of all girls who are sexually active have chlamydia. It's a new sexually transmitted disease, and there's no cure for it. 29% of the girls who are sexually active, the sexually transmitted, stealing, killing, and destroying. And we spend $21 billion a year supporting unwed teenage mothers who had, who had got pregnant and had a baby out of wedlock. I'm not saying pull that money. I'm just telling you. The lie is that this is good. This is wonderful. All the, the commercials, all the television, all the movies tell you that. But it's a lie. You want to do it right, do it God's way. That's where it's in color. Christians ought to be the ones who know what life and passion and zeal and partying and even good sex is all about. Amen? Because we know the Lord of life and the Lord of color. Now, the question is this. Why do, what, what, gave, what gave people the impression out there that Christians were the black and white ones? Okay, we've got real bad PR. I don't know if you noticed it, but most people out there don't know. That's why maybe you're visiting here and you're thinking, oh my gosh, the preacher's talking about sex. We do it a lot around here because we're into reality. We're not into religion. Uh, but whatever gave you the idea that we, we don't talk about sex? Like the Christians are the ones who don't have sex. Man, we ought to be bragging about it. I mean, it's a... Uh, well, we shouldn't be bragging about it. I'm getting a little carried away. But yeah. <laughs> In a general kind of way, hey, we have the better sex, you know, and tell a lie. To, to expose the lie. That makes the world think they've got it. We got a bad PR department. Two reasons for that. Number one, the devil works overtime to give us a bad PR department. There's three reasons. Number one, the devil works overtime to give us a bad PR department. Likes to twist it, likes to screw it up. We got what the world needs and he doesn't want the world to know about it. So he, kinda, he, he, he works in a lot of ways through the media and whatnot to make us look like we're black and white. Secondly, we got sometimes Christian leaders who really give people the impression that we're black and white. I'm not going to get specific here, but I'll tell you that more often than not, when I turn into a talk show and there's some famous Christian person on there, I get a little embarrassed. 
Uh, you know, it's like, mm, I wish. And a lot, of, a lot of times people, Christians do things that just make us look like we're black and white. And we gotta, we gotta, we, we gotta get, get out of that. The third thing is this. Sometimes we are black and white. Sometimes we are black and white. We're too black and white. In fact, any black and white is too black and white. We sometimes are. Let us expose as though the God of color has made us colorful, has given us reality, has given us abundant life, blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus inside of us. Though that is true, isn't that the case that often we Christians live like we were black and white people? We accept the lie that the enemy tries to portray to the culture as being true of ourselves. We're just the prudish little people who go according to this, and we never do anything outside the lines, and, and we just kind of you know, go along. And What it is is we get Pleasantville thinking going on in our heads. Here's what Pleasantville thinking is. Everybody in Pleasantville, if you go to the movie, which you're not going to do, but if you were to go to the movie, you'd find this out. Everyone in Pleasantville, they think, they don't know that there's anything outside of Pleasantville. They, 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 is there anything outside of Pleasantville? They don't know. Uh, they're, they're into routine. They get really, really disturbed if anyone jostles it up. If there's any novelty, if there's anything different, they, they just freeze. They don't know what to do. They, they got to have every line fed to them. What am I supposed to say now? What am I supposed to do now? That's Pleasantville thinking. They don't think in terms of possibilities. They think in terms of restrictions. And so it is with many of us. We get locked in. We get into a rut. We get into a routine. We, we just think that there's nothing else outside of our little definition of Christianity. There's no other way of praying, no other way of doing it. We get locked in. We accept limitation thinking instead of possibility thinking. And so we just find our security by doing the same old, same old kind of thing. Honey, I'm home. Where's the meatloaf? Well, what would happen one day if there wasn't any meatloaf? What would you do? That might be the best day of your life if you're willing to go with it. Let me offer a couple things that can break. See, this is... You will not get revived until you're open to getting revived. And that means open to getting new life, which means open to a little bit of change and doing things a little different and talking a little bit different. <sighs> Let me give you a couple of things. Abundant life happens when we stop thinking Pleasantville thinking, start getting a little bit of flexibility, start being open to new possibilities, start being willing, start being willing to move outside of your comfort zone. Stay hungry for God. Don't settle into your... Black and white television screen Christianity. Now, maybe your black and white television screen Christianity was, was in color a year ago, but God wants you to move on. And if you stay with the same old thing, because it worked a year ago, if you're not still hungry, if you're not still growing, you're dying, you're turning black and white, you're getting boring. And God does not like boring. So here's, what, here's a couple suggestions. What would happen if you, even though you're a Lone Ranger Christianity, actually tried out some small groups? Think about it. I know that it makes you nervous, it gets you scared, but why, what would happen? I mean, it is very biblical to get related to other believers, right? What would happen if you stopped floating around from church to church and being a little isolated individual who doesn't know anybody? What would happen if you actually got into a covenant group? Start studying the Bible with other people. Think about it. What happened if you struck up a conversation with a stranger in the chat room? Think about it. What would happen if you actually raised your hands during worship? I don't know. It's just a thought here, but it is biblical. All right? You might start taking on some color, okay? Uh, you know, what would happen if you stopped folding your hands and looking around and you actually close your eyes and raise your hand? Maybe you don't even know the lyrics. So what? You close your eyes, raise your hands. It's a biblical concept. Try it. Try it a couple of times. It's very, very biblical. In fact, start trying it. Don't stop trying it. And you might find that your Christianity begins to take on a little bit more color. You might find that before long you're talking to Mary Lynn about going to her dance worship class. Now we're talking color, all right? And then maybe you'll be coming to the Sunday night services and joining me and a bunch of others back there as we dance back and forth in really living color. Hey, why not? Let's go for it. I mean, is there a rule that says you can't dance in church? I don't know about that rule. You've got to be decently in order. Sure, that's why we kind of put it back there. But come on and dance. Do it. We're talking Chris, Christian footloose here. What would happen if you tried praying in a different way? Try praying laying on the ground. Try praying walking around the block. 
Try praying at 3 in the morning sometimes. Set the alarm. Wake up. What would happen? I don't know. Break the routine. Get out of the rut. Try a different thing. Let God kind of do some things. Next week we're going to be talking about fasting. What would happen if you actually tried that? You know, go for a day, go for two days. Maybe you want to do a Steve Van Sickle and try going for 40 days. But I'd first try one or two before you try that, you know. But, but different things. I'm saying open yourself up for God to do different things in your life. Try different things. Don't get into the rut that's black and white. Let God infuse your life with a little bit of color. What would happen if, as we should always be doing every Sunday morning when we come together, our goal is to worship God a little bit more passionately than we did the week before? Or the day before. To say, how, how deep? Ask this question. Individually as a congregation. How deep, how profound, how lost in worship can I get this morning? That's my goal. I want to forget everything else and enter into worship. He's worthy of it. What would happen if you did that? You might find your life taking on a little bit more color. color. What would happen if instead of playing KTIS or KQRS or KDWB or whatever, you turned it off and started praying on the way to work? Just, uh, what would happen if you tried reciting a Bible verse? Memorize a Bible verse. One verse a day as you're driving to work or driving to school. What, what, what if you made that a goal? What if you were actually beginning to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? What if you took some truths and began to actually concentrate on them morning, noon, and night? Open up and let God put some different color in your life. Or what if you just put on a worship tape and decided to praise God all the way there? Or what if you just decided to sit in silence and think about the Lord all the way to work and all the way home from work? You might find that God, you're giving God a chance to put a little more color into your world. Do things a little bit different. And everything I just said about your relationship with God, apply to your marriages and apply to your kids. Because we were made in the image of the passion of God, who's supposed to be a little bit different. There's a little bit of change. You need, you need solidity. You need sameness. Yes, we all need security. But don't let that be your God. Be open to moving a little bit, changing a little bit, and letting God infuse it with different things. Sometimes we have what, what Dean Sherman called last week, and I'll close with this. We get stuck with the justice and the wuzzas. Just a wuzza. Wasn't he great last week? Yeah. That, that, that was, uh, that was it would, you know, don't discourage me by saying it too loud, but he was, oh, that was, <laughs> yeah, I wish we had him this week. Um, but praise God. I, I praise God for Truett and Dean who came in the last two weeks and, and preached, and man, it's good to have people who can do that. Uh, but the justice and the wasas. I'm just a, I'm just a, I was a, you know, and we use that as a limitation thinking, obstacles. You know, if only, if only my life were different, if only my wife were different, if only my marriage were different, my kids were different, my finances were different, my job was different, or my past was different, and I hadn't had the affair, and I hadn't had the abortion, and I hadn't had this, and didn't do that, well then, sure, I'd be Christian. Oh, sure, yeah, but see, I'm a jester. I'm just a this, and I'm just a was a this, or whatever. Limitations. God eats limitations for breakfast, okay? He, 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 he snickers at your obstacles. It's, it's time we, if you want the abundant life, you've got to start thinking as God thinks instead of as, as, plan, as Pleasantville thinks. Start thinking instead of what you're not, start thinking about what you can be. Passion is not about what you were and what you are. It's about what you can be because of who God is. Boy, that came out really well. Someone record that. Passion <laughs> is not about what you were and what you are. It's about what you can be because, because of who he is. Something like that. It was better the first time. But <laughs> Take your limitations and offer it up to God. And say, God, fill it with color. Fill it with color. I, I, I'm going to end with a poem. I've done this other places. I've never done it here. I'm just feeling in the mood for it. Uh, so here I go. I'm going to do a little poem. That's not a normal kind of poem. I don't do poetry with words. I do it with sticks. And uh, so here's the thing. I was always taught one of the limitations I had was that I had too much energy. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Some people thought that, and I was still too hyperactive. And so they wanted me to settle down. But you see, I found that if you give it to God, God will find a way to use it. Uh, that, that is beautiful and is right, and it may not be very good, but he likes it, he delights in it, and it will give your life some... So this is, this is about this. Uh, taken, I'm going to take what, what, what my nuns always thought was a bad thing, and a lot of teachers thought it was a bad thing, and it hurt a lot, too, because they beat me up for it, but I, I, I gave it to God, and God gave me drums, praise God. 
And what this is about is just saying, God, I want to with passion worship you with the way you made me. And take it as sort of an, a symbol, an object lesson for whatever limitation you have in life. Take it and passionately give it to God and see what he does. Praise the Lord. I like to worship God something like this. You know? Take it, give it to him. Give it to him. Give it to him. Give it to him. God is good. He calls us, stay standing, we're closing here. That was, that, that, that was my benediction. Uh, you know, I just want to encourage you to think, to think in relationship with the passionate God that has saved us out of his passion and live it to the fullest, you guys. There are no limitations. Not when you're dealing with this God, with this Savior. And he wants to infuse our life with color. Father in heaven, we rebuke in Jesus' name every black and white spirit in this place. Every ounce of mediocrity. Every, every kind of limitation thinking. Everything that would get us, that would deceive us and keep us from realizing who we are because of you. And who you are, Lord God. And it would deceive us into telling us where life is to be found. And we chase after lies that steal, kill, and destroy. In Jesus' name, we rebuke it. And say, you must leave. We are children of God, children of the kingdom, following the God of color, people of color, living in color with passion and sound and fury. Lord God, I pray that as we go out of this place, we can take our life, like on that drums there, just invest it with, our, with all that we have. However much, however little it may be, to you, it is enough. Lord God, bless it as we go out of this place. Help us to, in a black and white world, be people of color who show forth your love and passion and zeal. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.